Hey, this is Dr. Patty Sadala. Welcome to my Experience Jesus podcast. In this how-to and identity episode, we will look at the authority you have as a child of God Almighty. I want to begin by emphasizing that all believers should be living a supernatural lifestyle of releasing the kinds of power we will be talking about today. Not just special people. Jesus said so himself in John 14, 12. I assure you and most solemnly say to you, anyone who believes in me as Savior will do all the things that I do, and he will do even greater things than these in extent and in outreach because I am going to the Father. Jesus is not saying that you or I are greater than he is here. He is saying that when he is multiplied in the hearts of millions of believers, well, I think you can agree with Jesus that that is better. So the power we're talking about in this episode is for you. By his strength, you have the authority to do these things. And remember what Jesus endured to give you this ability. You have the power to exercise God's authority. There are three things that enable you to exercise God's power and authority. If you miss one of them, you will not be properly using your power. The first and most basic of conditions is that you must have accepted Christ as your Savior. This power and authority is only for believers. The second is that you must activate the Holy Spirit by praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the third is that you are learning God's truth and the Word of God and that you are walking that truth out so that you can be trusted to exercise the gifts of the Spirit and release God's love and power. Let's take a moment to have Jesus explain the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I asked him about this, and he said, The baptism of the Holy Spirit is much simpler than most people make it. There are many inaccurate teachings on it. Many confuse it with the salvation prayer. The surrendering decision of salvation deposits the seed of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of believers. The nine manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit are like closed but unlocked doors in the hearts of believers. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is like watering the seed. It activates the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues is one but not the only evidence of the activation of the Holy Spirit. Any of the nine manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit could be activated. People can begin by prophesying or praying or healing or seeing a miracle. Activation occurs when a cry to go deeper is prayed. Seeking me deeper triggers activation. When someone hungers for more, it's a sign that they want my presence, and the Holy Spirit accommodates this heart's desire. Along with it will come a desire to seek the higher gifts. I want you to seek the higher gifts, but I really want you to seek me even more. When you do that, the higher gifts are activated. Pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit when you are feeling hungry and want to go deeper. And when you see someone else who is, help them to understand how to go deeper by simply praying the prayer of the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that he may release the gifts inside of you and them. When you have the seal of salvation, the activation of the Holy Spirit, and you allow yourself to be guided by God's word and his voice, know that you have the power and authority of Jesus' name to release that power by the indwelling Spirit according to the Father's direction. No enemy can withstand that power and authority. This is for you. When you realize that, you'll be able to do it. 
1 Peter 1, 20-23 says, For he was foreordained, foreknown, before the foundation of the world, but has appeared publicly in these last times for your sake, and through him you believe confidently in God, the Heavenly Father, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are centered and rested in God. Since by your obedience to the truth, you have purified yourselves for a sincere love of the believers. See that you love one another from the heart, always unselfishly, seeking the best for one another. For you have been born again, that is, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed and set apart for his purpose, not of seed which is perishable, but from that which is imperishable and immortal, that is, through the living and everlasting word of God. Jesus did his part by accomplishing the conquering of sin and death by his finished work on the cross. He lived in perfect sync with the Father because he stayed tuned to his voice and exercised his power and authority by the Holy Spirit. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, you were delivered from the consequences of sin and death, and you were given the authority to walk out your inheritance at that moment. All authority and power of Jesus was passed to you when the Holy Spirit came into your heart. Now you have the responsibility to steward that gift. So it's important for you to understand your positional authority now. You are a new creation. So you must watch the I am statements that you speak, for they declare your identity. Author of the book Spiritual Identity and dear friend and prayer partner Larry Silver came to town to teach a local church body one Sunday. He asked a group to raise their hand if they agreed with the statement, I am a sinner saved by grace. Nearly every hand raised. He corrected them with something to the effect of, No, you were a sinner who is now a new creation because you were saved by grace. I never forgot that. It's such a powerful identity truth that if grasped, would really change how you live out your Christian life. In Romans chapter 7, Paul goes on and on about what a terrible sinner he is, calling himself the chief of sinners. This is the wretched man syndrome. It's where you self-identify with the sin as if it is who you are, part of your identity. Speaking this statement nullifies the truth of your actual identity in Christ. This is why I disagree with support groups that have you introduce yourself as being the sin even though you may be living long past delivered from it. Introductions like, Hello, my name is blank, and I am an alcoholic, sex addict, food addict, etc. are dangerous identity statements that make you believe you will always be that addiction or stay in that bondage. Speaking lies like that out loud actually work against your complete healing. Instead, replace this with the truths of Romans 8, which declares the power of the law of the Spirit of Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 2. For the law of the Spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, the law of our new being, has set us free from the law of sin and death. Jesus took care of it on the cross. We cannot live a New Testament lifestyle still believing that he didn't accomplish that. 
Jesus came to set you free, and who the Son sets free is free indeed. Let's look at a declaration that agrees with the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It would be more like, hello, my name is blank, and I am free, healed, whole, and recovered from this bondage by the power of Jesus Christ. The Lord has completely removed the bondage of whatever that was, and I have been walking in victory now for blank years. Praise the Lord for his empowering yoke-breaking power. For more on the power of the law of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, read all of Romans chapter 8. When Jesus ascended to heaven, the body of Christ became his hands and feet. Before doing this, Jesus gave instructions to his disciples. In Matthew 10, 7 and 8, Jesus said, And go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Notice the command language in this verse. He commanded, Preach, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse, cast out demons. If these are commands, We must not only be able to do them, but we must realize that we should be doing them. Remember that the power to do them comes from Jesus, and remember to do it like Jesus did it. When he was on the planet, he laid aside his deity and lived a perfect sinless life as 100% man, not as God. He did it perfectly because he was connected to the Holy Spirit. John 5.19 says, So Jesus answered them and said, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself of his own accord, unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever things the Father does, the Son in his turn also does in the same way. Raise the dead? Cast out demons? If you're thinking, no way, I could never do that. You're right, you couldn't, because it's not you that can do it. It's the Holy Spirit who works through you who can do it. That is so important for believers to understand. We must remember that it's his God to bring the miraculous power and to show us what his will is, and it's our job to be humble enough and surrendered enough to allow him to do it through us. You are called to stand against Satan and his demons. Satan is by no means bigger or stronger than God. You have been given the power and the tools to stand against him. You first must recognize that the enemy is your opponent. Do not empower the enemy by thinking he's bigger than he really is. Instead of being afraid of Satan and his demons, they should be afraid of you. You have the authority to war in the spirit realm, and the Lord has given you the armor of God as protection and the sword of the spirit as your weapon. God does not put on the armor or wield the sword of the spirit for you. You must put it on yourself and use that sword with God. All bondage can be traced to a lie that has somehow been agreed with. The sword of the spirit is the truth that counters the lies. Ephesians 6, 13-18 says, Therefore, put on the complete armor of God so that you will be able to successfully resist and stand your ground in the evil day of danger, and having done everything that the crisis demands, to stand firm in your place, fully prepared, immovable, and victorious. So stand firm and hold your ground, 
having tightened the wide band of truth, personal integrity, moral courage, around your waist and having put on the breastplate of righteousness an upright heart, and having strapped on your feet the gospel of peace and preparation to face the enemy with firm-footed stability and readiness produced by the good news, above all, lift up the protective shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The armor of God protects you, and the sword of the Spirit is your only weapon. There is no protection for your back, because if you turn your back on God, you step outside his umbrella of protection. If you are experiencing incredible levels of spiritual warfare, ask yourself how you may have turned your back on God's truth, or if you have been in disobedience to what God has called you. Disobedience is not the only reason for experiencing spiritual warfare, however. Quite the opposite may be the case. If you are bearing much fruit for the kingdom, or if your kingdom purpose would have you do so in the future, the enemy will try to lessen your impact with spiritual warfare. This may come in the form of an illness brought on by lack of confidence or attacks from others. Unfortunately, too many times these attacks come from inside the body of Christ. I remember talking to the Lord one day when I was experiencing spiritual warfare for this reason, and he said, Welcome to the club. They attacked me too. Stand your ground and know that I am with you. Don't take the bait and fix your eyes on the fear of the circumstance, but find the scripture that will help you counter the lies. When you do or don't do things because you're afraid of facing spiritual warfare, the key question you want to ask yourself is, who am I pleasing if I don't do or do this thing? The one in you is greater than the one in the world. Don't let your fears have you fighting for the wrong team. One of the truths of your present identity is that you are seated with Jesus in heavenly places with his authority now. God has put all things under his feet. This was accomplished at the cross. You are a member of the body of Christ who is called to be his hands and feet. If the Lord has already put the enemy under his feet, then you need to understand and believe that God has already put your enemy under your feet by the power of Christ Jesus. Walk out that truth in agreement. This is how you activate the fact that you are seated with him in heavenly places, pulling heaven down to earth. This is not just for when you get to heaven, it's for now. Ephesians 1, 18-23 says, I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling, that is, the wealth of God's glorious inheritance that he finds in us, his holy ones. I pray that you will continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you and through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement of the immense power as it works through you. This is the mighty power that was released when God raised Christ from the dead and exalted him to the place of highest honor and supreme authority in the heavenly realm. And now he is exalted as first above every ruler, authority, government, and realm of power in existence. He is gloriously enthroned over every name that is ever praised, not only in this age, but in the age that is coming. 
Remember who and whose you are. Minister and release God's love and power from a position of authority. You do not come to God as a beggar, but as his beloved child with authority as your inheritance. Remember, you minister according to what you hear and see Jesus telling you to do and say, this is how Jesus did it and this is how he has commanded us to do it. When you have clearly heard him give you direction, take authority and act according to his will. What does it look like to exercise your authority? Well, I have a wonderful film clip that you can watch yourself on the pattyej.podbean.com site for this episode. It's a clip from the movie The Apostle, a man of God leading a group to exercise their authority over a situation where a man is planning to bulldoze their church down. We see some amazing keys for exercising the authority of the kingdom demonstrated in this film clip. They didn't need the police or anything in the natural to rescue that church. They placed the Bible, representing God's perfect will, as the line that could not be crossed. They spoke the scriptures out loud, showing the effective use of the sword of the Spirit and the word of God over the circumstance. They did not beg. They declared with authority that no one would knock down that church and that no one would move the Bible on the ground. They declared with authority that nothing can go against God's will. The pastor asked the group to say amen multiple times. Amen means I agree with God. They spoke against the enemy's scheme and yet showed love and mercy to the man that was trying to execute the enemy's plan. God met that man while he was still on his knees and turned around his intention. That's exactly how it's done. Let's take a few minutes now and talk about spiritual warfare and battling from a position of authority. Never let him see you sweat. This tagline, popularized by the Dry Idea deodorant commercials in the 1980s, is fitting advice when battling the enemy in spiritual warfare. The expression means to never let the opponent know you're scared. This insecure posture gives the enemy ammunition against you in a spiritual battle. Speaking the truth of the word of God silences the enemy. Satan can tell if you believe what you are saying by your attitude. I have a lot of experience facilitating people to pray through the healing prayer process that I wrote about in the Encountering the Healing of God Experience Jesus book 2. The casting out of demons section of that process is actually the easiest step because all of the contracts have already been broken by the time it's time to tell the demons to leave. Command is the key word. You are not politely asking them to leave. You're commanding them to leave because they have no right to be messing with you anymore. When you believe that, they will believe that. I remember many times getting into that phase of the process and needing to warn neighbors in the apartment complex, for example, that things were going to get a little loud. We would let them know that there would be yelling, but it's okay. It's just an exercise and no one's really in trouble. Except the enemy, of course. After all contracts were broken and we would get to that place, after all enemy contracts were broken and we got to the place where it was time to cast out demons, I would say with a loud and assertive voice, Tell them to leave in Jesus' name. They have no authority here. They must go now in Jesus' name. And so often the person would say with the wimpiest of a whisper, Be gone in Jesus' name. 
And I would say, say it like you believe it, or they won't believe it either. Say it like you do believe it, and they sure will believe it too. We would keep on saying it until they got louder and louder and more confident, until the person actually felt the truth of what was backing up their words. Only then would they see the demons flee. Commands according to the word of God are more effective and more powerful than begging prayers without faith. Now let's look at how Peter and John did it. In Acts 3, 1 through 8, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, three o'clock. And a man who had been unable to walk from birth was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful so that he could beg alms for those entering into the temple. So when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking them for coins. But Peter and John stared at him intently and said, Look at us. And the man began to pay attention to them, eagerly expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name, authority, power of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, Begin now to walk and go on walking. Then he seized the man's right hand with a firm grip and raised him up. And at once his feet and ankles became strong and steady. And with a leap, he stood up and began to walk. And he went into the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Peter and John noticed this man because God caused them to look at him. This is how God gets your attention when there's an anointed assignment. He has you notice a person. In that moment, Peter was seeing in the spirit what Jesus was telling him to do with this man. Then he commanded the man to walk by the power and authority of Jesus. The man leapt to his feet and began praising God. This is how it works with us too. When God shows you or tells you what to do with someone, you can confidently pray in agreement with it and expect to see God show up. One more thing that was interesting to me as I was studying the scripture is that I learned something significant about the gate's name, beautiful. The Greek word for beautiful is horeios, which means the hour or time of fulfillment, the beautiful timing of fruitfulness, the timing of ripeness or blooming. That crippled at birth man had a perfect time for his healing. His purpose was to be healed and for his story to continue teaching. I remember praying for someone once at the Cleveland House of Prayer. The Lord showed me a dial with the numbers from 1 to 10 and asked me to ask the person to rate their pain on a scale of 1 to 10. The person answered with the number 8. And then I saw that dial show 8. Then I saw Jesus twist the dial all the way to zero, and I said, I see that the Lord is dialing your pain down to zero. Pain be gone in Jesus' name. And the person confessed that they could feel their pain literally lowering down to zero until it was completely gone. I did not beg God to do something. He just showed up and showed me what he was already doing, and I spoke in agreement with it. That's how it works. God has given us all authority over all power of the enemy, but spiritual maturity is required. Matthew 10 once said, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority and power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And Luke 10:19 says, listen carefully 
I have given you authority that you now possess to tread on serpents and scorpions and the ability to exercise authority over all power of the enemy, and nothing will in any way harm you. It takes spiritual maturity to understand and even apply those truths. Most pulpits don't teach about the enemy's schemes and for sure don't encourage you to cast out demons. Yet here it is in the Bible commanding us to do so. We must grow in spiritual maturity to be able to do what God is commanding us to do. What is spiritual maturity? It's when you have a solid grasp of who God is, who you are in Christ, and you know the word, which is your ultimate litmus test for ensuring an accurate understanding of the first two. You cannot grow in wisdom without having the Holy Spirit interpret the word and having a personal relationship with Christ. So how do you do that? Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ to a new life, sharing in his resurrection from the dead, keep seeking the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God the Father. Set your mind and keep your focus habitually on things above, heavenly things, not on the things that are of the earth, which only have temporal value. Your level of maturity is a factor in which the Holy Spirit will release through you, He will trust you with more when he can trust you with little. Romans 12.2 says, And do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes, so that you may prove for yourself what the will of God is which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. Let's talk for a few minutes now about how to properly decree and declare. Let's begin by defining these two words. A biblical decree is a statement that agrees with God's word, will, and promises. A biblical declaration is when you speak a decree with authority over an area according to what you see and hear God directing in Jesus' name. Putting them together, declaring decrees is operating in the power and authority that God has given us from Jesus by speaking the word of God by God's direct command. It is not using the word to decree what you want to have happen as if it was coming from power apart from God. Remember, Jesus said that apart from God, you can do nothing. John 15:5. All decrees must be backed by the power of Jesus' name. Saying, for example, I bind and gag the enemy has no power, but saying, in Jesus' name, I bind and gag the enemy pulls down the power from heaven. Decree only as the Holy Spirit instructs. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look and listen to what he's directing you to do and say, and only do and say as he directs. Even Jesus lived his life doing this, and we are to follow his example. John 12, 49 says, For I have never spoken on my own initiative or authority. But the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment regarding what to say and what to speak. The goal is to align with God's will. Prayers that begin with our own wishes and desires do not result in miraculous outcomes. Seeking and speaking God's will does. Here's what the Lord had to say about this. Too many people beg me to do what they want me to do and not what I have willed for them to do. Still others know the promises of my word and bargain and beg and plead and hope, but without faith. I need my body to rise, especially in the kingdom season, 
and decree this boldness, what I have already said, so my kingdom can be established on earth as it is in heaven. What are some of the proofs that you are exercising your authority and power? Jesus left us the Holy Spirit imparting divine authority and power within to fulfill kingdom purposes. Every believer has within them to demonstrate these proofs of God's power. Mark 16, 15-22 reveals Jesus' last words. They are a command to exercise his power as his hands and his feet. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed in me and has been baptized will be saved from the penalty of God's wrath and judgment. But he who has not believed will be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. So then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into the heavens and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and they preached everywhere where the Lord was working with them and confirming the word by the signs that followed. Jesus did not leave behind a powerless church. He imparted his divine authority and power of the Holy Spirit to help us accomplish his kingdom plan. The above verse gave us the list of fruit that Jesus was looking for as active proof that you are part of his body. Are you demonstrating those things? Here's a list of the things that he said he wanted us to do. Lead people to Christ. Are you sharing your faith in a way that has people want what you have? Evangelizing doesn't need to be a formal or complicated thing. Just share your story of what Jesus has meant to you, and people will respond. We are called to go and make disciples, not just to lead people to Christ, but to help them understand what that means and help them draw closer and closer to him. These podcasts and my book series are designed to help you do that as simply as possible. It's not as complicated as people think to get close to God and to lead people to God contagiously because of your victory in life. The Mark 16 verse above mentions snakes and poisons. It seemed like a specific thing to have listed here, so I asked Jesus to explain it. This is speaking of the promise of my divine protection against dangerous things. The safest place you can be is in the center of my will. You can face dangerous situations, as I have unfinished assignments for you. Paul was shipwrecked on an island of Malta and got bitten by a snake, and yet he was unharmed. See Acts 28. Remember that time that you hit the deer and it went through your windshield, and yet you were unharmed? The Holy Spirit was involving and ensuring that you and Jamel were not hurt that day. You both have unfinished ministry assignments. Wow, I almost forgot that story. My oldest daughter, Jamel, was a preteen and would normally have been in the front seat for a drive to pick up another daughter from school. But on this day, she was home doing a major homework assignment. A deer jumped out from a development sign and was hit by a car going southbound. I was approaching going north and the deer did a full tuck and slammed through the front passenger side of my windshield, bounced against the empty front seat, and flew out through the broken window back onto the road right in front of me. The whole thing happened in slow motion. I was covered in broken glass and yet didn't have a single scratch on me. The oddest thing about this story is where it happened. A man was mowing his yard. 
He lived in the house next to that development sign. He ran across the street to check on me and kindly invited me into his home until the police came. I remember telling him that my daughter Jamel should have been in the car and that she would have been instantly killed if she had been. That was what had made me the most shaken up. In the ultimate case of small world stories, that man is now my daughter Jamel's father-in-law. It would be a few years before she and his son would get together, nearly seven more before they got married, and now we have three grandchildren that never would have existed if the Holy Spirit hadn't ensured an unreasonable amount of homework for her that day. Are there any close call stories in your life? Perhaps they were also the Holy Spirit keeping you divinely protected because you have more to accomplish. The next proof on our list is casting out demons. The word is clear that every believer has the authority to cast out demons in Jesus' name. You do not want to attempt this if you do not know how. The steps for how to cast out demons are thoroughly covered in my Encountering the Healing of God book, Demons can only mess with you if you have a contract. Contracts are made by the open doors of sin or trauma or unforgiveness or even curses that you might not know about. The Lord can reveal every condition that needs to be met to break those contracts and then he'll let you know when it's time to cast out a demon. Once all contracts are broken... Demons must leave at your command by the name of Jesus and his authority. Interestingly, they will not leave, even if contracts are broken, unless they are commanded to by the authority of Jesus. Without a contract, they can't mess with you, but they will hang around waiting for you to mess up again. The devil always tries to get you where he got you. When commanding a demon to leave, You should always tell them to go to an uninhabitable place so that they will not try to mess with someone else. The next proof is healing the sick. It is such a privilege for all believers to be able to lay hands on the sick by the power of Jesus and to be able to see people recover. Having had nine miraculous healings in my own body, the Lord has allowed me to witness his miraculous healings more times now than I can even count. When the healer shows up in your life and you get to know him personally, it adds to your faith when you pray for his miraculous healings. Which brings me to the most generalized proof of them all, seeing prayers being answered. When you pray in agreement with God's will, it is always a great formula for answered prayers. When you pray according to the Word of God and according to what the Lord is showing you directly, you can expect to see answered prayers. Still, God does not answer prayers in the way that you expect or in the timing that you expect. Always ask God what the conditions are. What is He doing? What is His will in a circumstance? And then make sure you pray in agreement with it. If He gives you a condition, For the answered prayer, meet that condition and meet it immediately. Delayed obedience is disobedience. I asked Jesus to let me know what he had to say about why people don't typically exercise their authority. The Lord gave me eight reasons, and I'd like for you to use this next section as a diagnostic. 
do any or more than some of these actually line up as your reasons, make a note of them. Take notes and Jesus will use that later in our encounter. Jesus said, people decree things all the time. Unfortunately, they are not according to my will. They are decreeing their fears, their lack of faith, the power of their sickness to prevent them from doing things. They'll speak about the immensity of their trials and difficulties, all while agreeing with the enemy's limitations. It seems to come so naturally. That is the way of the world, but it is not the way of my kingdom. And I asked, Lord, what are the specific things that hold us back from exercising our power and authority? And he said, number one lack of faith. The disciples cried to me asking why I couldn't drive those demons out. See Matthew 7, 19 and 20. And I told them that it was because of their lack of faith. Like them, many people just don't believe me for it yet. Number two, ignorance. Many simply don't understand that they do have the authority to administer my power. This is not well preached in the pulpits, even though it's very clear in the word of God. Number three, They are not spending time in the Word. Many are not reading the Bible with me and asking me to help them interpret its meaning enough to know what their actual inheritance is and how much power they really have. Number four, many don't believe that I still perform miracles today. Many denominations teach the lie that I still don't perform miracles. This is not biblical and negates the fact that I sent the Holy Spirit for this very purpose. Miracles can surround you every day. Many do not acknowledge that the miraculous is occurring at all. Others see some miracles, but do not recognize that they come from me. This dishonors me and weakens kingdom impact. Number five, believing the lie of unworthiness. Others agree with the lie of unworthiness. This is false humility that has them believing that I can and have authority and power to some believers, but not for them. Unbelief is a form of pride making you somehow too big of a sinner for me to be able to use. This is not biblical. Didn't I create all people in my image? Didn't I send the perfect Holy Spirit to dwell in each believer's heart? This lie limits my body and its kingdom impact. Do not agree with it. Number six, the fear of man. When you care more about what people think than what I think, you're allowing the fear of man to come in the way of your kingdom impact. Some may persecute you for loving people enough to tell them the truth. Welcome to the club. I need you to love me enough to take the heat for it. Number seven, the lack of courage and holy boldness. Many know very clearly what it is that I want them to do, but hold back because of a lack of courage. Holy boldness is different than boldness. When the boldness comes from me for you to obey something that I told you to do or say, the power to do it will be there for you. When you think the power is coming from you, it's easy to lack courage. Go forth in faith to heal, bring people to salvation, cast out demons, fulfill your purpose for which I have created for you. In doing so, you will do things that are greater than me. See John 14, 12. This is because I am multiplied in the hearts of people exercising my power according to my authority that I passed on to you. And finally, number eight, lack of spiritual maturity. 
And finally, some lack the spiritual maturity to understand my nature and my word. Without daily communion with me, they will not grow into the maturity to understand my promises so that they can boldly say and do what I ask them. Spiritually mature people know how to hear and obey my voice because they know me, not about me. They know me personally. They know I am a promise keeper and that I'm unable to lie. If I say something, it's true. It's true because I am the truth. You will see my power according to the level of your wisdom, faith, trust, humility, and obedience. The more you grow in these areas, the more power you will be able to release in the areas of influence for which I have given you. Before we dive into our encounter today, I wanted to take a moment to ask you for a blessing. If you have learned some new things and have drawn closer to God by this podcast, Please pray for the Lord to multiply it and allow the Lord to pop a few names into your spirit for whom you could share this podcast with. Simply text or email them the link to the pattyej.podbean.com site and let them know why you've been blessed by it. And please check out my books, journals, and downloadable resources at pattysadala.com shop. And remember the code EJPOD to receive 10% off everything, even the stuff already on sale. And remember, they make great gifts too. Thank you for blessing me by your prayers and for being a listener to this podcast. If this is your first podcast experience with us, you may want to go back to the trailer episode and learn about the biblical foundation for dialogue journaling, our process for experiencing Jesus. This leads you through the first special place encounter with Jesus as a child. This is a starting point for all of our experiences with Jesus. For best results, it is always good to properly posture your heart for your experience by welcoming Jesus' presence with praise and thanksgiving and playing with him in the special place as a child for a few minutes before asking for anything from him. For today's encounter, we're going to look at the reasons that you circled and highlighted that the Lord showed you as he was going through his eight different reasons that people tend to hold back and not exercise their power and authority. After meeting Jesus in your special place and playing with him for a while, just enjoying his presence, you're going to ask the Lord to speak to you or show you how he really sees you living your life apart from those excuses, where you are exercising your authority and releasing God's love and power. Ask him to clarify this glimpse and let you know what things you would need to do to get over those barriers so that you can live a high fruit-bearing life for him and see the miraculous on a daily basis. Take all the time that you need and allow God to show you anything and in any way that he likes. And make sure you record your entire experience in your journal. I hope the Lord shed some light on how some of your reasons can be overcome, and you could find yourself being a high fruit-bearing Christian that lives a lifestyle of the miraculous with Jesus. And I hope you will join us on this podcast adventure. Follow this podcast and forward it to others that you think may be blessed by it. And check out all the links below. They are designed to take you deeper. I thank God for you and bless you in Jesus' name.